Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast. In this week's podcast, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons that we're calling No Easy Answers. Now, in life, there are plenty of questions that have quick and easy answers. Like if I asked you what 2 plus 2 is, you know that equals 4. Or if I asked you what your phone number is, you can rattle off those digits in no time at all. But there are plenty of other questions that don't have easy answers at all. And in this week's sermon, we're going to talk about why it's important for us as people of faith to ask these kind of questions anyway. And this week's sermon is also going to be laying the foundation for where we're headed over the next several weeks as we wrestle with some questions that are important to us as people of faith, but questions that don't have easy answers at all. We're going to be thinking about where God is when it hurts, why bad things happen to good people, why there is pain and suffering in this world at all. So with all of that in mind, let's get straight into this week's sermon. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I want you to call out the answer to the question as quickly as you possibly can. Okay? Now there are two rules to go along with this game. Rule number one is I'm going to ask you math questions, so don't cheat and pull out a calculator on your phone. I'll know, I promise. And rule number two is... I have nothing else I have to do today, so if you don't play along with me, I'll stand up here and wait, okay? That's how it's going to work. All right, so again, call out the answer as quickly as you can. What is 2 plus 2? 4. What is 2 minus 2? What is 10 plus 10? What is 10 minus 2? What is 10 plus 2? What is 12 times 12? 144, that one got a little bit harder, slowed some of you down a little bit. All right, what's 4 times 36? That's 144. What's 6 times 24? It's 144 too. What's 8 times 16? It's not 144. <laughs> Led you to a bad conclusion, didn't I? I'll teach you to trust the pastor, come on. 8 times 16 is 128. All right, one last question for you. Hardest one I'm going to ask, okay? What is 144 divided by 7? Now, some of you may be good at math in your head, and you can pretty quickly figure out that 7 times 20 is 140, so 144 divided by 7 should be 20 and some change. But I'm guessing that without having a calculator right in front of you, there's not anybody sitting in this room that could figure this out to the decimal points. Now, I prepared this little quiz, so I got to cheat and use my calculator before I got started. And 144 divided by 7, it's 20.571428, and that repeats forever. Now, we're sitting in church this morning, not in math class, right? So you're probably wondering why I just gave you a math test to get things started this morning. And the reason why I did this is because it, it, it illustrates an important point that we need to understand. And here that point is, not every question has an easy answer. Not every question has an easy answer. Now some questions do. Some questions have easy answers. When I asked you what two plus two was, pretty well everybody sitting inside of the sanctuary knew that the answer to that was four. That's a pretty easy question. Or if I asked you what your phone number is, 
That question has a pretty easy answer. You could rattle off those seven to ten digits, depending on if you include your area code or not, in no time at all. But not every question has an easy answer. 144 divided by 7 doesn't have an easy answer that any of us can just rattle off right off at the top of our heads. That is, unless we pull the calculator out of our pockets to figure it out. And other questions are the same way. Like, no matter how many times I've asked it, no one has ever been able to tell me how much wood a woodchuck could chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. I'm still trying to figure that one out. But here's the thing. Just because a question is tough to answer, or just because a question is hard to explain, that doesn't mean that it's not worth asking. Or just because a task is difficult to do or accomplish, that doesn't mean that it's not worth trying. Or just because something isn't easy, that doesn't mean it should be avoided. Just because something doesn't come easy, that doesn't mean that it should be avoided. Now, unfortunately, those words of wisdom aren't words that we in the church have always followed. Let me tell you a story this morning that kind of shows you what I mean. This is a story that I first read more than a decade ago while I was still in seminary. And even though it's been more than a decade since I first read this story, I still think about this story all the time. It's a story that's told by a guy named John Swinton, who is now the chair of Divinity and Religious Studies at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland, in his book, Raging with Compassion. And as the story begins, John Swinton sets the stage. And he sets the stage by telling about one of the worst terrorist attacks that ever happened in his home country, in in the United Kingdom, specifically in Northern Ireland. On August 15, 1998, members of a terrorist faction there that called themselves the, quote, real IRA, detonated a car bomb in the center of a small town that killed 28 people, including women and children, and wounded and maimed more than 220 other people. Swinton goes on to describe the carnage from that scene, and he explains how that whole event, that whole tragedy, left him reeling. This bombing took place in his own home country, just hours away from where he was living at that point in time. And Swinton, and along with countless others like him, felt similar that day to the way that people all across America felt in the aftermath of September 11th. He goes on to share in his story that the very next day, August 16, 1998, was a Sunday. And I'll let him take it from there. He writes, On the next day, a Sunday, I went to worship in our local church. All of the questions that I had were still racing around in my mind. But I was a little bit calmer now, and I just wanted to join together with the people of God and receive some guidance as to how together we might deal with our confusion, our disorientation, our anxiety. Now I want to stop right here in John Swinton's story, and I want you to think about everything that's just taken place. On Saturday, August 15, 1998, one of the worst acts of violence in the history of the nation of Northern Ireland has taken place. 28 people were left dead. 
220 other people were wounded or permanently maimed. Then on Sunday morning, August 16th, John Swinton and thousands of other people just like him were walking into churches all across the United Kingdom with this horrific tragedy still weighing on their hearts, their minds, and their souls. Thousands of people walked into their churches that day wrestling with questions that had no easy answer. Where was God when that car bomb was detonated? Why didn't God stop it from happening? If God is a God of love and peace, then why is there so much hatred and violence in our world? Why did something so bad happen to so many people that were good? Where is God? when it hurts. These are the kind of questions that people were asking when they walked into churches that August morning. So how do you think John Swinton's particular congregation addressed these questions? Did the ministerial staff of his church get together early that morning and rewrite the entire worship service they had planned just so they could address the tragedy that had taken place not even 24 hours earlier? Did the minister there, the pastor of their church, spend the entire night before reworking the sermon he had planned to preach to talk about the pain and the suffering that everyone inside of that congregation was dealing with? Did that church spend part of their service praying for the victims and the families of this tragedy? Did they lament the loss of innocent lives and wonder together how long they had to wait for God's peace to come to this earth. Let's go back to John Swinton's story, and I'll let him tell you what happened when he went to church that August morning. He writes, The first hymns were sung. Nothing was said. We were told to worship, to praise the Lord, to lift our hands and to lift our hearts heavenward and appreciate the wonderful things that God has done for us. And we did. And still nothing was said. The prayers went by in the service, and we thank God for His great mercy that He has shown toward us. Nothing was said about the bombing. The sermon was preached. We were instructed to have faith, to be thankful that God was God and that God had reached down to love us despite our sinfulness. Still nothing was said. The prayers of intercession came and went. Silence. The entire service came and went with no recognition of the tragedy that had happened in our country to our own people. The service ended, and I left without saying much to anyone. On that August morning, people throughout the United Kingdom were asking questions that had no easy answers. But in at least one of those churches, in John Swinton's church that day, their questions were completely avoided. Nothing, nothing was said about the tragedy that had happened less than 24 hours before. 
Not a single song was sung. Not a single prayer was prayed. Not a single scripture was read. Not a single sentence in the sermon was preached. Nothing was said at all. When John Swinton's church had had the opportunity to reach out and help people, to help them wrestle with some of life's most difficult questions, they avoided the conversation altogether. But that's not how church is supposed to be. That's not how church is supposed to be. I've said this before, but it's always worth repeating. Nothing we do inside of the church matters if it doesn't change the way we live when we're outside of the church. Nothing we do in this place matters if it doesn't have an impact and an effect on our lives when we are outside the walls of this building. So the church, the church is supposed to be a place that helps us when we face questions that aren't easy for any of us to answer. It's not supposed to be a place where we avoid those questions altogether because they're hard or because they make us uncomfortable or because we don't have a quick, easy response to give. And here's the thing. That's the way the church has always been. We have always been meant to help one another, to wrestle through our faith, to ask these questions and to try to come up with responses. If you'll go ahead and grab your Bible, I can show you what I mean. Grab your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of context on this book. Now, like about half the books inside of our New Testament, the book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul is the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century. Paul likely started more churches during his lifetime than just about anyone else in history. It's probably safe for us to say that none of us would be sitting inside of the sanctuary this morning if it wasn't for the work that Paul did 2,000 years ago. But just because Paul was a big deal in his time, just because Paul did so much to help spread the good news of Jesus during his lifetime, that doesn't mean that Paul's life was always easy. He writes this letter to the church in Philippi, a church that Paul started. He writes this letter to them when he is in prison. And Paul's writing this letter to them, at least in part, as a way to encourage them. He's encouraging the followers, the believers in Jesus, in the city of Philippi, to live differently than everyone else in the city around them. So in Philippians chapter 2, Paul's going to share part of how we as Christians, how we as people of faith, are supposed to live our lives. Now we're going to start reading in verse 1 just to set a stage in the background for us. But what I really want you to listen to is verse 12. So let's start. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. This is what Paul writes. It says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, then complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes. But with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. That though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. 
Instead, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, yes, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him. And he gave him a name above all names so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now here's the part I really want you to listen to. Therefore, my loved ones, just as you always obey me, not just when I am present, but now even more while I am away, listen to this part. Work out your own salvation fear, and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling from the very beginning of our faith. From the very beginning of our faith in Christ. That's what we as Christians have been called to do. We are called to work out our salvation, to work out our faith with fear and with trembling. That's the conclusion that Paul uses those first 11 verses to lead the believers in the Philippian church to. After Paul has outlined everything that he personally believes in his life, he talks to the Christians there about how they're supposed to behave. He writes to them that they should be of one mind, that they should look out for each other's interests. Then he writes about what he's come to believe about who Jesus is. Who even though he was God, he humbled himself and he was willing to lay down his life for us. And then, when Paul says that we should continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, what Paul's telling us is, you don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to take my word for anything that I just told you. We don't have to settle for the answers that somebody else has come up with to life's questions even if it is easier just to listen to what somebody else has to say, than it is for us to come up with answers for ourselves. Paul's telling us, we should ask the hard questions. We should wrestle with how we're supposed to live out our faith. We should wrestle even with what we are supposed to believe in. Or to put it another way, we shouldn't avoid questions that don't have easy answers. We shouldn't avoid questions that don't have easy answers. Instead, we should work out our faith with fear and trembling. Ask the hard questions. Don't avoid them and wrestle with them. Work out your answers. So in the weeks leading up to Easter this year, that's what we're going to be doing together. We're going to be wrestling with one of the hardest questions of faith. A question that we've been asking as people from the very beginning of our time on this earth. We're going to be wrestling with the question, pain and suffering in this world. We're going to be asking together, where is God when it hurts? But I also want you to know, this isn't going to be some sort of abstract exercise. This isn't going to be thinking and questioning just for the sake of thinking and questioning. Because I want us to wrestle with these questions on a personal and on a practical level. And I think we need to do that because these questions, questions about pain and suffering, matter to every single one of us sitting inside of this place. Every one of us has had to deal with pain and suffering in our lives. 
Every one of us sitting in this room has had to attend the funeral of someone that we love. Every one of us sitting in this funeral has watched as a family member or a friend has suffered in a hospital bed. Every one of us sitting inside of this room has twisted an ankle or stubbed a toe or bit our tongues and felt pain in life. Every one of us has had bad things happen to us. So every one of us needs practical answers to these questions. Something that we can actually use in our lives when we run across pain and suffering. So this morning, I want us to start thinking about this question in a real life way. So I want to end our time together this morning by giving you a scenario. A type of situation that any of us could easily find ourselves in in life. And I want you to think about what you would say in this situation. So here's the scenario for you, as is explained by the author Philip Yancey in a book that he writes called Where Is God When It Hurts? He writes, One day I received a frantic plea for help from my close friends John and Claudia Claxton. They were newlyweds in their early 20s, and they were just beginning life together in the Midwest. I had watched in amazement as the experience of romantic love had utterly transformed John Claxton. Two years of engagement to Claudia had melted his cynicism and softened his hard edges. He had become an optimist. And now the letters that he wrote me were usually bubbly with enthusiasm about his young marriage. But one letter from John alarmed me as soon as I opened. Errors and scratches marred his usually neat handwriting. He explained, Excuse my writing. I guess it shows that I'm fumbling for words. I don't know what to say. The Claxton's young marriage had run into a roadblock far bigger than both of them. Claudia had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, a cancer of the lymph glands, and was only given a 50% chance to live. Within a week, surgeons had cut her from armpit to belly, removing every visible trace of the disease. She was left stunned and weak, lying in a hospital bed. Philip Yancey goes on to write, Claudia had hoped that Christian visitors would comfort her by bringing her some perspective on what she was going through. So here's what I want you to think about. I want you to imagine that you were one of Claudia Claxton's friends that went to visit with her in the hospital while she was battling Hodgkin's disease. I want you to think about what you would say to her. What would you say to her to bring her the comfort and the perspective that she was hoping to find while she was struggling, battling this disease? Think about that. Not just for a few minutes this morning. I want you to think about this situation, this scenario, all week long. And seriously, I want you to think about this. Don't just put this on the back burner and wait and see how we follow up on it next Sunday morning. Think about it. Imagine yourself in this situation. Don't avoid it just because it's a difficult situation to think about. Wrestle with the hard questions that come up in a situation like this. A young woman in her 20s, diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, given a 50% chance to live right after she had married 
the love of her life. What would you say to her? What would you say to her to bring her comfort and perspective? Ask the hard questions. Wrestle with them this week. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. And when we come back together next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about what Claudia's actual visitors had to say to her and see what we can learn from them about the problems of pain. Well, let's pray together now. God, we thank you for the time that we've had together in this place this morning. We thank you for the reminders that we've had about the importance of wrestling with the hard questions in life. God, most of the time we seek to avoid these things, but they're going to come up. God, the questions of pain and suffering will hit every single one of us because we have all experienced pain and suffering in our lives. We've been to funerals. We've visited folks in the hospital. We've laid in hospital beds ourselves. We've twisted ankles, stubbed toes, bit tongues, hurt ourselves along the way. So we know that these issues, where you are when it hurts, are going to come up. So don't let us avoid them. Don't let us put them on the back burner. Let us wrestle with them now and work out our faith with fear and truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this week's sermon podcast. I hope that it's been challenging for you, and I also hope that you'll spend some time this week thinking about Claudia Claxton's situation and reflecting on what you would say if one of your family members or one of your friends was in a similar place in life. When we get back together next week, we're going to talk about how Claudia's actual visitors responded and what they had to say about the pain and suffering that she was facing, and we'll see what we can learn from their responses together. So let me go ahead and encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, whether it's an iTunes or another podcasting app, so that next week's episode will be sent straight to that app. And while you're in there, let me encourage you to go ahead and just take a couple of seconds and leave us a review. Your reviews really do mean a lot and they can help get the word out about this podcast and this particular message uh, about pain and suffering and how we respond to it to people who need to hear it. So take just a couple of seconds and leave us a review. And as always, I hope that you guys have a great week this week and that we will see you back here next Tuesday.